Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. So in general, you're going to be wanting to choose somewhere quiet. Now, I know, obvious, but sometimes it's not that easy to find somewhere quiet. And a lot of us would love to have a space that only we use, that is quiet all the time and where no one's going to be disturbing us. And in reality, that's not always possible. Maybe you don't have that option. Maybe you live in a house that's quite crowded. Maybe you have kids. Maybe the space that you use doubles up as other people's spaces too. And so when we say somewhere quiet, maybe we reframe that as somewhere that is quiet at certain times of the day. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in sonic arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. Well, hello and welcome to episode four of the Girls Twiddling Knobs podcast. Thank you for tuning in and thank you to everyone who's been tuning into our previous episodes so far and also to anyone that's entered our competition, which has sadly closed now. But if you are listening now and you are feeling like you want to share the love, even so, please rate and review our podcast and subscribe to the podcast as well. And also join the Female DIY Musician Tribe Facebook group so that we can keep in touch and you can join a really supportive group of ladies making wonderful music and using technology. So today we're going to be looking at how to set up a home recording space to start self-recording and producing your music. And I'm going to be peeling back the curtain on my very own home recording space to show you what I use and why. And hopefully some of this will be useful with you and what you're trying to do with your own setup. But even if you're already totally set up and you're happy, if you're anything like me, you might just be a little bit nosy about what somebody else does. So we're going to be looking at how to choose your space and the kind of space that I've chosen at home. We're also going to look at sound treatment 
which is really important, but often very overlooked. And actually, if this is something that when you listen to this episode, you realize you need to learn a bit more about and start doing, I have a really good free three-step guide to sound treating your home recording space, which you can download right now from femalediymusician.com forward slash zero four. That's femalediymusician.com forward slash zero four. Like I said, it's totally free and it's really, really easy to use. But I think that by the end of this episode, you will see how important it is to start sound treating your space. We'll also look at speakers and headphones and microphones and audio interfaces. And then lastly, your door, or as it is also known, your digital audio workspace. Okay, so let's get started then. And we'll kick off, like I said, with choosing your space. So in general, you're going to be wanting to choose somewhere quiet. Now, I know, obvious, but sometimes it's not that easy to find somewhere quiet. And a lot of us would love to have a space that only we use, that is quiet all the time and where no one's going to be disturbing us. And in reality, that's not always possible. Now, I'm lucky in that I do have that. I have a room in the house, which is at the back of the house, which doubles up as a bedroom, actually. But I have a desk and it's somewhere that is generally quite quiet. I only live with my boyfriend, so I can trust him to be quiet when I'm recording things generally. And it's pretty reliable that it's going to be somewhere I can use. But I should say I don't call it a home studio. I call it my home recording space because it's not just used as a studio. It's it's used as a multifunctional space. There's a bed here. There's bits and bobs of my general life here that do not relate to recording in any way. And so it's a, it's a space that I want to be flexible. So there's enough room for me to spread out when I need to. And there's also the option of just pulling it right back. So that's the space that I have. But maybe you don't have that option. Maybe you live in a house that's quite crowded. Maybe you have kids. Maybe the space that you use doubles up as other people's spaces too. And so when we say somewhere quiet, maybe we reframe that as somewhere that is quiet at certain times of the day. Somewhere that you know you can be uninterrupted at certain times in the day. And so that might be that if you have kids... It's a corner of the living room, which has a little bit of space for you to set up your computer and your speakers and a microphone. But you know that from eight o'clock till 11 o'clock in the evening, your kids are in bed. Or you know that on a Saturday morning, your partner takes the kids out to go shopping or whatever, and you stay and you do some work. And I know that there may be people listening to this and saying, that would be wonderful, Elizabeth, but it's a, a dreamland. Okay, but you get my point. Somewhere that you can rely on at some time in the day to be quiet would be great. And the other thing that you want to think about is somewhere that feels relaxed and that you can be centred in. So not somewhere that you feel like at any minute someone's going to burst through the door or that it's filled with lots of crap and you just feel really stressed there. You want it to be somewhere that you can just organise a little bit and control a little bit and maybe even decorate a little bit so that it just feels a little bit more relaxed and like you. And so that could be that you have certain scents in the room. It could be that you have certain colours, certain photographs, whatever it is. Or it could even be that you have your guitar just by the desk, just something that makes it feel creative and relaxed. And you can really just chill out in there and get creative. So next we'll think about sound treatment. Now you picked your space. What about sound treatment? 
Now, sound treatment is something that can be quite misunderstood. A lot of the time people get it mixed up with soundproofing. But sound treatment, unlike soundproofing, is not about making sure that space, that sound does not leak out or in of the room. So a lot of the time with soundproofing, we're making sure that either the noise we're making inside of the room doesn't leak out or the noise that other people are making outside of the room doesn't leak in. In sound treating, we're actually trying to control the way that sound behaves in that space. So if you're saying, Isabel, I can't find somewhere to record that is quiet at any time, you may want to be thinking about soundproofing. But um, with sound treatment, we're wanting to control the way that sound behaves. And so in order to do that, we have to understand even just the basics of how does sound behave in space. So in layman terms, sound travels on the air in vibrations. And these vibrations will bounce off certain surfaces, creating reflections. So that's often what we're hearing when we hear reverb and also when we hear delay as well or echoes. And some surfaces, it's absorbed much, much, much more reliably. And so when you go into a studio, it's usually got a fair amount of absorptive materials and sometimes some reflective materials too, because we can balance those types of materials depending on what kind of sound we want. And that often pertains to what kind of instrument we're recording. So if we're recording vocals, especially main vocals, a lot of the time we want a nice dead sound. We want very few reflections so that we can then play with that voice in lots of different ways afterwards. And so we would probably want to have a lot of absorptive materials to soak up those reflections. Whereas if we were going to be recording the acoustic guitar, we may actually want a little bit more reflection in the room so that it sounded more alive and a little bit more natural. And so we might have a mix of absorptive materials and reflective materials. But it really depends. And so when you're thinking about sound treating your room, you want to be aware of how sound is behaving at the beginning. And I, I talk about this in the three step guide. We go into the technique of measuring flutter echoes through clapping in the space. And once you actually diagnose what's going on in your space, you can then use different materials to absorb that sound or also reflect that sound. And I go into lots of different options in my three-step guide, but some of these materials might be, you know, duvets for absorption and even large mirrors for reflection. And if you want to, you can invest in some sound treatment material like foam panels. Now, you'll have seen these in studios, I'm sure, even if, if it's just pictures of studios. But these can be really effective of just getting a much, much better sound in your own recording space. And I actually have foam panels myself. I've positioned them in a couple of different ways. And it's probably much more useful to see a video that I did, which I'll put a link to with these show notes, because you'll be able to actually look at what I'm talking about. But I have two different ways I've positioned the panels in my space but you can also use a mirror technique to do this and I walk you through this mirror technique in this video um, but the mirror technique is where you use a mirror and whenever you are running the mirror along the wall and you can see the intended sound source in the mirror that might be speakers if you're mixing, but it could also be a microphone if you're going to be singing into that mic. Um, when you can see that intended area of where the sound source is going to be inside the mirror, in the reflection of the mirror, that's where you know you need to be using some absorptive materials to soak up those reflections. So that's a really good technique with the mirror. Another thing you can do in a more localised way is a vocal reflection filter. 
Now that's usually a semicircle metal um, cylinder which has some treatment materials inside and it basically catches the sound waves coming from your your mouth as in when you're singing or speaking it catches them right before they get to the wall in front of you basically or the wall kind of either side of you as well so it means that you're not going to get those reflections coming back and hitting your microphone which will be a really really sure signal when you're listening back that you have recorded in a room rather than it just being a dead space so a vocal reflection filter could be really good if you're suffering with that kind of roomy sound in your vocals and i use an se electronics space model and they're quite pricey. They're just over 200 quid, but they are worth it because certain vocal reflection filters have questionable technology behind them, whereas the SE Electronics ones are very good. So next, let's move on to speakers and headphones. You're going to want to invest in at least headphones because you need to be able to listen back to what you've been doing um, through better quality microphones than what's on your laptop. And if you're using an audio interface, you're going to have to use headphones just to hear anything. But you may also have the budget to invest in speakers or what are sometimes called monitors. And both headphones and monitors should be as flat as possible. And the reason for this is because you want a balanced sound so that you're not accentuating certain parts of the frequency spectrum so that your mix sounds unbalanced afterwards. So, for example, if you had monitors that were quite bass heavy, then it probably means that you're not going to be mixing to have a kind of normal amount of bass because you're hearing it being accentuated through your monitors. And that means when you then play back on different speakers, maybe it's going to sound quite bass thin because you've actually been mixing it to compensate for the fact your speakers or your monitors are bass heavy. So it's really, really important to get a nice flat sound from your headphones and your monitors. So the headphones I use are the Bayer Dynamic DT770 model, and they are about 100 quid or just over. When I bought them, they were more money than that, but that just shows you how long I've had them. They are really reliable, a really nice sound, and I really recommend them. But I also have sometimes used a much cheaper model of headphones. Um, in the kind of 20 to 30 pound mark, they're actually really good. And so if you're on a budget, then these could be a great way for you to start monitoring back with headphones. And you'd want to do this because you won't want to hear the bleed of the sound coming out of speakers into your mic while you're recording. But you'll also want to use headphones if you don't have any monitors to actually listen back to your mix when you're mixing and, and making decisions and edits and all that kind of thing. And the monitors that I use are the Genelec 8020 and they are called Active Studio Monitors. And I started using Genelex when I was studying at the Sonic Arts Research Centre. It was largely what they had in the studios. I really liked them. They are really well recommended by lots of different people as well. But I went out and got my own pair when I left Sark. And these ones that I have are around £300 each. That's not just for a pair, that's for each speaker. But um, you can get a slightly cheaper model, which is about 200 and 220 quid each. So you do have some options if that sounds like a lot of money. And there are obviously monitors that are less money than that, but those are the ones that I use. And I, I really felt like it was worth investing in them because I knew I was going to be using them a lot and I knew how important it was to have good ones. In terms of positioning your monitors, I like to have my monitors slightly raised so that they're nearer my ear level. And I have them about... That in my space, I have them about a metre apart. Ideally, I might even have them slightly more apart than that. And when I'm mixing, I 
Obviously, I'm at my desk, so I'm probably about half a metre from them. But when I'm kind of listening back and really taking notes and just listening to the whole piece and making sure the mix is right, I try and go at least a metre back, if not a metre and a half, so that I hear things as they should be heard. And like I said before, if you have a tight budget, don't worry about investing in monitors right now. Just get some headphones and get some headphones that have a good flat sound to them so that you can get a nice unbiased opinion of your track. And then my microphones that I use. Now, these are really quite simple. I use an SM58 because I actually invested in an SM58 to play live. And then I found that when I recorded out of necessity from just not having any money and didn't have any money to invest in any studio microphones, the SM58 is actually a really nice warm sound. And so, yes, it's not going to be the same as having a fancy condenser microphone, but I actually quite like the sound of the SM58. I also like the fact that it's a dynamic cardioid microphone and that means that it is able to cope with higher volume sounds and a bigger range of volumes. So things like when I've been recording my clarinet at a really high register, that can be quite loud and intense and the SM58 can handle that. The other mic that I use is a Rode NT-USB mic and I find this really useful for just plugging straight into my laptop and recording stuff and it's actually quite good quality. It's what I'm using to record my podcast. It's what I use to do my live videos as well. And I find it just a really, really handy microphone. It's a condenser as well. And so it's a very good plug and play microphone. But I am going to be um, leveling up and investing in a Neumann TLM 102 or an Aston Spirit multi-pattern condenser. It's in the balance. I love Neumann microphones. I've had really good experience with Neumann microphones. The TLM 102 is probably the only one I can afford right now. But I've also heard some very good things about the Aston Spirit multi-pattern condenser. And I, so I'm considering that too. And they're both, you know, been the kind of 250 to 500 pound mark. And I've got another microphone that's a bit more of a wild card, which is the Zoom H4n. And I use the Zoom H4n primarily for field recordings. So recordings that are taken outside of the studio. I've done a lot of nature recordings. I've done a lot of urban recordings. But I've also used it to record at home when, again, I just want to plug and play. I don't want to be faffing around too much. I just want to get a song idea together or I just want to try something out. And sometimes those recordings have actually made it on to my releases, things I've actually released officially. And that's because the Zoom H4n is actually pretty good. And the mics, they've got a really nice pair of stereo mics at the front. So some of my recordings have made it on from my Zoom H4n as well. Um, all of the equipment that I'm mentioning, by the way, I'm going to add links to with the show notes. So don't worry, all the links will be there. And then let's move on to my audio interface. So I use a Scarlett 2i2. And the reason for this is that it's very simple. It does what it says in the box. It's got some pretty good preamps and it has a couple of inputs. And that's it. That's all I need. I am not at home recording massive drum kits or, you know, really complicated setups. It's usually just me plugging in, maybe doing two different instruments at once. And so the Scarlett 2i2 has been a really, really simple and easy piece of kit to use. If you're thinking about investing in an audio interface, I really recommend getting one that has two audio inputs so that you have the option of recording more than one sound 
pound source at a time. It may be tempting to get one that's cheaper that has one input, but I think it could really limit you in the long run. But also an audio interface is not totally necessary if you're on a budget. You can use a USB mic, the Rode NT USB that I'm using right now, again, I would recommend. And that you can just plug and play. You don't need an audio interface. And so it's one bit of kit you don't have to invest in if you really can't afford to right now. And so last but not least, let's cover the door that I use. So I actually use a combination of doors, plural. So I started learning to record on Pro Tools and I love, I still love how detailed and specific you can get when you're editing audio. I particularly have kind of got into the nuts and bolts and the weeds of this when I was doing my MA and PhD in Sonic Arts and I was doing a lot of very specific detailed sound editing. So I love Pro Tools for that. But I also use Ableton and I use Ableton to do more creative things with MIDI and also apply effects in more creative ways. And I like doing that in Ableton because it's much more intuitive. It's much more like an instrument, actually. And so what I'll do is I'll kind of bounce out some of the sounds that I create in Ableton and then I'll bring them into Pro Tools to mix and bring into the whole track. So I, I kind of toggle between the two. I like that combination, but it's by no means a necessity to use two. You're, you're able to do so much in just one door. It's just my preference. So there we have it. I've given you the whole step-by-step -step behind the scenes of what my recording setup is. It's so simple. It is really not that complicated. The complicated elements for me come more in the way that I use the audio that I record. And, you know, I can talk about that another time. But in terms of the actual recording, I like to keep it simple. I like to be able to just get my ideas down in as simple as possible a way. I like equipment that's going to be reliable, that's good quality and that I know is going to stand the test of time. And I also really advocate getting into sound treatment, even just a tiny bit. You can get my three-step guide, like I said, from femalediymusician.com forward slash zero four. And you'll find the link to download that for free. And it's just got everything that you would need to start sound treating your space and for you to get the very best out of whatever equipment you've got, whether it's a totally, totally bog standard budget setup or something really expensive. It doesn't matter. You need to be sound treating your space to make sure you get the very best out of that. Now, in next week's episode, I'm really excited to be chatting to an incredibly talented LA producer called SJ, or as her friends call her, Sammy. Now, Sammy's going to be sharing her top three tips for getting started with recording and producing your music from home. So I know you're going to love that. But she's also going to be talking about how she got into production in the first place, how a small town Welsh lady like her ended up in L.A. producing some incredible artists and working on some amazing projects. So I think you're going to really enjoy it and find it really interesting. So how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it, and you know someone else who would love it too, be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls' twiddling knobs love.